charges We're listening to on a Michael Friday Cohen to a Monday. Talking to a top prosecutor about who will be the first to indict Trump. And there was no way in the world that I was ever going to put her in harm's way. And mm -hmm. so I did what I had to do to protect my wife and my family. I think, and Michael, I think our books are, are interesting bookends to one another in that respect. I mean, you give the perspective, really a unique perspective on what it's like to be in the crosshairs of the Justice Department. I mean, I don't think people understand how terrifying that is, how how precarious your position is financially, personally, your liberty, your, you could go to jail. And, and yes, prosecutors my, do have various, my wife's liberty. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the sort of the ultimate pressure tactic. And I think there's a fair debate about whether that's fair or ethical or not, especially if they didn't actually intend to charge her, which I don't know the answer to. I, what I give in this book also is the other side. What was happening inside the SDNY, inside DOJ, when they're, <clears throat> excuse me, when they're trying to figure out how to charge you, how to charge other people, will they charge other people? And really, in the bottom line analysis, it's not fair, it's unjust, it, it's indefensible that you are the only person who ever got charged for this. And I give the sort of behind-the-scenes prosecutorial machinations behind that. Yeah, it is a perfect bookend. But let me just move on for a second, because yep. we're going to talk about another institution that seems to be all fucked up now. And I'm referring to the Which Supreme one? Court of the United <laughs> the Supreme Court of yep. the United States, right? About the leak um, at the Supreme Court yes. that they just can't seem to investigate on their own. Do they not care yep. that they're now seen, right, or that they're being seen at their lowest approval rating ever in the history of the Supreme Court. I mean, because the, the justices were interviewed, but they weren't interviewed under oath. And you as a prosecutor, former prosecutor, know if you're not doing it under oath, well, there's no penalty really for lying. The question I want to ask you is why? And if Alito leaked the hobby lobby draft right would it make sense that he would do something like this again i mean where is the independent investigation of the court so i i mostly share in that view Great um, question. i i i understand fully why the supreme court's approval levels at the lowest level ever and they deserve it by the way i've been very critical of them not only for being nakedly political for these various breaches that have occurred but also I'm kind of tired of being hectored by whether it's Justice Alito or Justice Amy Coney Barrett or Justice uh, Breyer, for that case, all finger wagging at us. We're not political. The only reason people think we're political is because the media and we're not political because we say we're not political. How about showing that in your actual actions? The fact that they've become so eminently predictable, you know where every mm -hmm. case is going to come out. And you know how you know where every case is going to come out? You go, what do conservatives want? What do liberals want? The six are going to be here. The three are going to be here. Maybe once in a while, one or two may cross over, and you need two, obviously, to swing the result. Um, from the Bush versus Gore decision on through uh, uh, you know, the, the Dobbs decision overruling Roe. Now, regarding the leak, so you're right, Justice Alito didn't actually leak the opinion, but he did, according to this, this guy who ran this sort of influence campaign, he did loose lips sink ships. He did mention at a dinner, allegedly, how the Hobby Lobby decision was going to come out five to four, and that he, Alito, was writing the decision, which ended up being five to four, Hobby Lobby won, and Alito wrote the decision. We didn't actually see the written ruling. The Dobbs leak, of course, was basically 99.9% .9 of what exactly ended up being the final decision. I, my view on this investigation that they're doing inside the Supreme Court is there's some home cooking going on here. Like, 
if they really wanted to know, let me put it this way. If someone came down to Chief Justice John Roberts and said, you have to figure out who did this leak. You have to do it within the law. But if you don't figure out who, who committed this leak within a month, the world's going to get struck by a meteor. And so you have to do it. They would find that out in two days. They can absolutely figure out who did this leak if they want to. But remember, who they delegated this to was the Supreme Court's marshal, or I may not even be getting the title right. FBI is right up the street, by the way, if you really want to figure this right. out. They'll crack it for you. But the Supreme Court is the ultimate hoity-toity, you know, what goes on in this marble palace is our business and we shall figure it out ourselves. And so I'm kind of skeptical that they ever give us a real answer. As to, And by the way, as to who leaked it, I'm like 50-50 on this. And I'll tell you, I'm, this is the speculate, the fun speculation part of this. When it first came out, my, my initial instinct was that's got to be one of the liberal, I don't know, justice clerk staffers just angry and trying to sort of warn the world and, and lashing out. But then I thought about it more and I said, well, but who actually stands to gain here? Because at the time mm -hmm. it was right. It, 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 there was the five conservative justices who wanted to straight up overrule Roe. And Roberts was trying to pull people to the middle. Joan Biskupic from CNN has reported on this. And if he pulled one of them to the middle, which would have been not quite overruling Roe, but, you know, gutting it, that would have that would have meant they would not be overruling Roe. And I think if whoever leaked this, their motivation could have been, let me freeze those five justices in place, because now it's going to be impossible for any of the five to change and go over and join Roberts in the middle, because if they do, everyone will know that they change position and they'll be accused of being spineless and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, there would have been an incentive either way. I genuinely, it's like a coin flip to me, whether it came out of, but I think one of those two will end up being the story. Probably. So to be exact, the they ended up bringing on a court martial. I mean, I, I don't even know where this name comes from, but her <laughs> name happens to be Gail Curley. Okay. And she was the one that they asked to oversee this probe, right? And she went ahead and she put out a statement on her own right. in regard to this because obviously there was a lot of people who were very unfulfilled. We seem to be very unfulfilled as a country right now with holding anyone other than Michael Cohen accountable. Right, but right. she writes into this statement that she spoke with each of the justices some several times, right? As we would say, my grandma would say, oh, Baruch Hashem, right? Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, she spoke to some several times. Right. And that the justices, and I'm going to quote here, actively cooperated, asking questions and answering mine. And then she further goes on, I followed up on all credible leads, none of which implicated the justices or their spouses, <laughs> right? Adding, that on this basis, yeah. oh yeah, I wonder too, hello Jeannie, right? And then finishing up and saying, on this basis, I did not believe that it was necessary to ask the justices to sign sworn affidavits. Oh. Now, with all due respect, Gail, I think that you have two people on this podcast for certain, myself and my friend Ellie over here, that would disagree with you. I believe that they should have signed affidavits because if it was you, you would have been forced to sign an affidavit. Clearly, I would as well, right? Yeah. So why do they get to escape what the rest of us don't? I totally agree. It's home cooking. It's soft peddling of powerful people. And by the way, so a couple things on this. First of all, Justice Alito, and I've written about this with the Hobby Lobby decision, 
I don't find him credible. He denied, he said, I never said a word about, I categorically deny all of that. Yet, there are emails from the time showing that somehow this guy and his wife who had dinner with the Alitos just week, okay, so here, let me backtrack. When the Hobby Lobby decision was argued, this guy and his wife sat in Justice Alito's special seats in the Supreme Court. Each justice, I guess, gets four tickets or two tickets to each argument. These two folks had Justice Alito's tickets. They sat in the courtroom for the Hobby Lobby, okay? Then a couple weeks later, they go to dinner with the Alitos. And then there's emails showing those people who went to the dinner with the Alitos are emailing back to the guy at the, at the influence campaign saying, hey, they told us that it's going to be 5-4, that Hobby Lobby's going to win, and that Alito's writing the opinion. And that's exactly how it played out. Now, Alito has said, no, absolutely not. How'd they know that? Maybe it was a lucky guess. I mean, yeah, you could have seen that it was going to be a close decision, and maybe you could have guessed that Alito would write it. I don't know. I, I have questions about Justice Alito's credibility. But look, Michael, we see all the time, I write about this in the book, the more powerful you are, the more consideration, the more people are likely to sort of tap dance around you. I'll give you a couple other quick re recent examples. The January 6th committee, by and large, did a very good job, in my view. Very effective, really advanced our understanding of what happened. However, they served subpoenas left and right. They held Steve Bannon in contempt. They held Peter Navarro in contempt, as they should have. But what happened when they tried to subpoena their own fellow members in Congress? Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, on down the line. Nothing. Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan flipped them the bird. And what did the committee do? Nothing. Did they seek contempt? No, absolutely nothing. So people were treated absolutely differently there based on they're powerful. They're members of Congress. That's one example. And I also give examples in the book. Look, if you look at DOJ policy, it says specifically, if this is a case that's likely to draw national media attention, if this is a prominent politician or other prominent figure, it has to go up to higher and higher levels of review. And I give some examples in the book. When I had cases, when I was a little low, you know, line level player at the Justice Department, I had a couple cases that hit on celebrities or hit on famous people that if they if there wasn't a famous person, one of them involves a major league baseball player, a pretty well-known major league baseball player. And because it involved a well-known guy, if, if, it, if it wasn't a well-known baseball player, I would have just made the decision myself. Do we charge not? Because it involved this famous, influential guy, we had to go up and up and up the levels. And the higher up you go in these levels, the more people there are who can step on a case or say, I don't see it or no. And that, your case, Michael, was micromanaged to death. Every word that was written went all the way up the chain in the SDNY, all the way up the chain at DOJ. And that resulted in everyone but you getting sort of a, a soft pass. You know, I'm going through the same thing right now in California. I followed the bar complaint against this guy named Brent Blakely, who was representing me in regard to the defamation case uh, with Stormy Daniels against myself and Trump, as well as bringing uh, an action against her uh, right. for making the statements that she did in violation of the non-disclosure, yada, yada, yada. That's what they turned and they said, to I'm 18 months into this thing. Right. He actually acted and negotiated a settlement with the Trump. The whole thing is just beyond crazy. And I keep saying to the folks that are there, well, where's the decision? It shouldn't take 18 months when right. there's clearly an ethical violation of a lawyer acting for his best interest, which is against the interest of his client, meaning me. And yeah. so they said, well, because you're high profile, this high profile bullshit <laughs> is just, I mean, it's just fucked up because well, at the end of the day, yeah. it doesn't help you to be high profile. In fact, 
to the contrary, it hurts you. It, it, it does. I mean, it can go either way, actually, Michael. You know, it's interesting because in a lot of respects, it can help you. But sometimes prosecutors like to like to chase hides, as we say. And if they see, oh, Michael Cohen, he's famous, I'll, you know, or, or whoever, you know, arguably this is this happened. Some people argue with Martha Stewart when they have prosecuted a regular unknown person for doing what Martha Stewart did. So it can cut both ways. You're the answer right. to that one is yes. There was a guy in Otisville that was living with the identical identical claim and he's just an average rich guy who happens to live here in the city but yeah uh, same thing but yes i agree with you because they know that by going after me or the martha stewart's they know that they're going to be all over television and they love to yeah. see their name in print and they love to see their face on tv but also, despite and how remember, fucking ugly they are once you meet with a turbo tax expert who will do your taxes for you you're free to do not taxes <laughs> let's remember um that's part of the reason for the fear here, because if you take on one of these cases and you botch it, then it'll stick with you forever. And so for that reason, prosecutors, as much as we're all about bravado without fear or favor and all that, the fact of the matter is fear does come into play. And I, I use, again, Michael, an, an example from you. I don't want to set you off on a jag. I know what you're going to say here, but your judge, your federal judge, William Pauley, who, who handled your case, and I was in front of many, many dozens of times passed away in 2021. And this is a man who was a judge for, I forget, 15, 20 years, over hundreds and thousands of cases of important policy. His whole damn obituary in the New York Times was about you, Michael Cohen. <laughs> it was about me. Could you imagine? Yeah, yeah well. Oh, he uh, would, I'm, listen, I'm love delayed. him or hate him. He would be. He, right. he would come out of his grave. His, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, good. So let me move on for a second and ask you this, because this week, marks the 50th anniversary of Roe becoming law. But here we are now. 17 states have banned abortion, and the high court seems impervious to the will of the people. Yeah. Are you aware of any litigation that's working to help women seeking abortions, literally from being criminalized in those states? And why doesn't the court have to answer to us, right? The 70% of America that wants to see Roe reinstated? So it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I do not subscribe to the view that the Supreme Court needs to just do whatever the popular majority wants. I don't think they have to be just, well, more people like this than that. They're, you know, I do think they should be applying the law. Um, and the problem is a couple things. One, Sometimes as a matter of just legal jurisprudence, you are supposed to think about what is the accepted norm in this country? Have we come to rely on this? That's one of the questions that was in dispute in the Roe-Dobbs decision. You know, the liberals argued, we've had this system for nearly 50 years. We now rely on it. We, we've come to live with it, and it would be calamitous to change this now. The criticism is the justices pick and choose whatever gets them to the end result. And I think that's become increasingly clear. I mean, the way it's supposed to work, Michael, when you're in law school, they, they, they teach you that the law works like a math problem. You have your inputs, X times Y equals, and then it comes out to what it comes out to. And maybe it's a result that is consistent with whether you're liberal or, or conservative. Maybe it's not, but that's the result. And that's where we land. When you get into the real world, and I think increasingly over the last couple of years, my view is, especially at the U.S. Supreme Court level, it works the opposite. They start with the answer. I want to land here. And mm -hmm. then they backfill in the equation. Well, because look, these legal terms are so malleable and any halfway smart people, and they're all very smart, 
can take these legal concepts of reliance. Do we rely on this? And say, yes, we do. No, we don't. I mean, that's what lawyers do, we, right? We can argue either way to serve our needs. And the problem is, I think, that, I think this is fundamentally why the Supreme Court has really lost so much of its credibility, because we see them doing this constantly. When you're able to predict exactly where every case is going to come out, right along party lines, and it's not quite every case, but it's, it's very, very easy at this point, that tells you something. That tells you they're not umpires calling balls and strikes. It's more like if you let the team in the field call every pitch a strike or the, the team at bat call every pitch a ball. Um, and that's the problem that I think they're failing to grapple with. And that's why their their uh, public polling is, is at an all-time low. And until they change that, I don't see it changing. Yeah, I don't either. But I do have to say that whether you like Joe Biden mm -hmm. or you don't, Biden put out a statement yesterday that I thought was absolutely fantastic, where he says, today, instead of commemorating the 50th anniversary of the Supreme Court's decision in Roe versus Wade, we're acknowledging that last year, the Supreme Court took away a constitutional right from the American people. And then he goes on to say, since the Supreme Court's decision, right, Americans, time and time again, have made their voices heard. Women should be able to make these deeply personal decisions free from political interference. Yet, yeah. Republicans in Congress and across the country continue to push for a national abortion ban to criminalize doctors and nurses and to make contraception harder to access. It's dangerous, extreme, and out of touch. And then he finishes by saying, I'll continue to fight to protect a woman's right to choose. Congress must restore the protections of Roe versus Wade in federal law. It's the only way we can fully secure a woman's right to choose in every state. I don't think yeah. it could have been said better. Whoever wrote it for him, regardless of the fact that it was for him and in accordance with his principles, this is exactly what we're saying right now. I yeah. acknowledge that the Supreme Court does not have to do what the will of the people but you're talking about 50 years stare decisis, and each yep. one of them lied to the Judiciary Committee when they said that they would respect stare decisis. They did not. No more than George Santos is a fucking liar. So were they. And they should not be permitted, as far as I'm concerned, to retain their seat when you lie in order to be, you know, to be confirmed. You know, there's this dance that happens at every confirmation where they're asked, do you respect precedent? And then they invent this thing of super precedent, whatever that may be. And they all give this hedgy answer that I think, you know, it stops short of being perjury, but it's hedgy. And they all go, of course, I respect precedent. And then they're asked, do you believe Roe versus Wade is precedent? Do you believe Brown versus Board of Education? They say, yes. But then there's the question of when do you reverse precedent? And they all try to come up with some BS sounding legal, well, if and when, but, but they don't really have, but the real answer is when five of them want to, when the hell five of them feel like it. And this has been the, you know, this effort to overturn Roe versus Wade has been um, part of a, a campaign that goes back decades into the eighties. Um, and, and look, it's fair game to argue, but there's really no, um, there's really no legal basis for it other than we just feel differently than the people who established this right in Roe versus Wade reaffirmed it in the Casey case in 1992. And by the way, we ought to get used to this because now this court is going to dig. I mean, they already have dug in 
and just sort of done whatever they want. I mean, the next one they're going to do, they're going to get rid of affirmative action in the court, in, in college admissions. That one's pending right now. It's quite clear they're going to argue that that's unconstitutional, even though it's been in place for decades now. So this is the reality of where we are with the court right now. So let me move on and then talk to you about Rupert Murdoch, because Rupert Murdoch testified in the Dominion voting machine fraud case last week. And reporters at Fox News have already admitted that they knew that the story was bullshit, that it was just incorrect. Now, there was nothing wrong with these Dominion voting machines, but by having Murdoch testify, at least it suggests to me that Fox has some sort of a strategy to get themselves off the hook, right? Or do they? What do you think? And before you give me that answer, you know, I have this company called Crisis X, and that's exactly as a crisis management that takes media and merges it with legal strategy. This is exactly what I would be telling Rupert Murdoch to do. I do it a little bit of a different strategy, but it's exactly what I would be saying. Get yourself off of this, because this is a multi-billion dollar lawsuit that everyone believes Dominion is going to win. So this is a defamation lawsuit, which basically means Dominion has to prove that uh, whoever spoke, spoke knowing that it was false, with what we call actual malice. That's really difficult to show. The problem for Fox here and the defendants is this was so obviously false, and there's quite a bit of evidence that certain people, at least within Fox, had knowledge that it was false. I mean, it, it is false. Let's start with that. The, the note, there's zero right. evidence that, that Dominion flipped votes or anything. This is just wild theories that Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani made up, and they've even faced consequences. And they just say, like, they basically admitted they had no basis for it. Rudy has said, like, I didn't have a chance to vet it. I don't have a chance to vet everything I say before I say it. So heads are going to roll here, not, you know, in, in the civil financial sense. I believe Dominion is going to win either at trial, a massive verdict, or they're going to end up with a huge settlement because Dominion, I mean, their entire business model is threatened here. And they've named some huge numbers they're suing for in the billions. I don't know that they'll ever get that. But um, it's interesting to see who is positioning themselves how, who is admitting we knew this wasn't true or we should have known and who is sort of still fighting. I mean, one of the main defenses we've heard is like, this was opinion. This wasn't intended to be taken literally. This wasn't intended to be taken as fact. We've heard in various lawsuits from Fox, uh, from people at Fox, including I think Tucker Carlson in one case, I don't think it was the Dominion case, said this is an opinion show and no reasonable viewer would have believed that this was fact. So they're in a really tight spot here. Um, I'll be interested to see whether Dominion is willing to settle even for some enormous amount or whether Dominion is going to insist on taking this to trial to make a point. Yeah, let's not forget that they have things like, you know, Rudy's computer. They took out boxes and boxes of documents from his apartment here in the city. Not to mention they have other text messages. There's no doubt in my mind that there's communications that were going on between all of these players. I, I'm not sure if it was Tucker Carlson who said it, but Sean Hannity said the same thing, which is that I'm not a journalist. I'm a talk show host. Oh, I might be confused. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. so, but it probably it could have been either one because yeah. you know they were both following whatever the mantra was to talk about. It's not as if they're writing their shows. They're right. just reading it off of the teleprompter. Right. You know, they don't they're not really they, you know, may turn around and say, hey, I don't agree with this. I don't want to say this. But at the end of the day, yeah, this thing is really crazy. 
simply because I agree with you, Dominion will win this case. But I would tell I would tell each and every one of them who is my client, this is exactly what I would be telling you to do. You need to get yourself extricated yeah. from the lawsuit. And if that means that you throw everybody else under the bus, I promise you, Rupert and Fox have no problem with doing that. It's interesting. You know? um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know whether, I mean, I, I don't know how Hannity or, or Tucker Carlson work. I assume they have quite a bit of uh, of editorial input into their own shows. But yeah, look, a, a Dominion, good for Dominion. I mean, they've stood up for themselves and uh, I think they're going to they're gonna expose quite a bit here about knowingly false statements based on what we've seen. I mean, I don't know how you justify it. it, it it's, look, everyone gets things wrong. Everyone makes mistakes sometimes. But these were obvious truths that that they had no obvious falsehoods that they had just zero proof of. And there's almost been borderline admissions now that people knew. I mean, knew that it was false and they were just repeating it. So um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, what are we thinking about the special counsel that the Department of Justice has arranged in the Biden document case? <laughs> I was going to say, because, which one? I mean, Merrick. Yeah, yeah right. So I'm uh, <clears throat> Merrick Garland. Right. Shaw put that shit together real quickly. Right? I mean, it was like in a period of weeks as opposed to Trump, which was years. Yeah. Is the idea to have the Trump and Biden document cases run concurrently so that the public can see the difference between them? Right. And how much pressure do you think Garland was under to investigate Biden? I think the main uh, purpose that Merrick Garland had here was to provide himself and the Department of Justice with some measure of political insulation. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying he necessarily succeeded in that, but I think he kind of had no choice, especially after he had named Jack Smith special counsel on Trump. Now, you're right. It took him over two years, took him two years or so to get there. And I'm quite critical, by the way, of Merrick Garland in the book for taking this long. But once mm -hmm. Donald Trump announced his candidacy of, in 2024, Merrick Garland said, essentially, he felt he, we had extraordinary circumstances and he had no choice. Now, remember, Donald Trump is being investigated for classified documents. Then when the Biden issue arises, first Garland taps this U.S. attorney from Chicago, John Walsh, to give a recommendation. That U.S. attorney comes back and says, I recommend special counsel. At that point, Garland has essentially no choice. Now, there definitely are differences in these cases, right? More documents with Trump. Trump is under investigation for obstruction and Biden has sort of cooperated, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. But there are similarities. These are both cases involving documents, classified documents found in personal areas. Um, Biden's, you know, claim that this is all an accident. Um, there's been no direct proof to the contrary, but we've now had documents found in five different batches in his home, in different rooms of his home, in his private office. I don't know whether we'll find more, but the more documents that show up, the more different places, the harder it gets to believe that there's some sort of pure accident here. We don't know. We don't know. I have to say that. Um, and again, he has denied having any knowledge. There's no direct evidence that he did have knowledge, but this is what the investigation is for. Now, Merrick Garland, as you noted, Michael, he has a really complex political calculus to make here. By the book, what Merrick Garland will tell you and what any by-the-book prosecutor will tell you is, well, he's going to assess each of them completely independently. And the special counsel will come back on Trump and give a recommendation. And the special counsel will come back on Biden and give a recommendation. And the one has nothing to do with the other. And Garland will independently decide whether he wants to go with the special counsel recommendation or overrule it, which he can. And that is correct. 
That is the way it will happen. But this notion that Merrick Garland is some sort of cyborg who does not operate in the world of politics is nonsense. He is a political creature. I don't mean that in any kind of criticism, but you don't get to the federal bench. You don't get nominated for the Supreme Court. You don't get nominated as attorney general unless you are a D.C. creature who understands politics. Of course, he's aware that Donald Trump is running for president. That's why he put a special counsel in place. Of course, he's aware Joe Biden is a sitting president. And of course, he's got to be aware of the the appearance of this and the timing. I mean, do you announce them, as you said, Michael, concurrently? Do you wait until they're both done and said, here's where we came out on this, here's where we came out on that? Do, do you just announce your decision on each one as they come in? What if one comes in first? When you announce the decision on that, charge or don't charge, you can't charge Joe Biden right now because he's sitting president, but is that going to influence or increase pressure on what happens with the second case? And I think it will. I do think as a practical matter, I understand there are differences. But I think as a practical matter, the Biden case has underscored that there are more complexities to the Donald Trump documents case than people understood at the beginning. I've heard some people say, oh, the Trump documents case is the same thing as a drug case. You had kilos, five kilos of coke in your car. That's it. End of story. It's like a stolen jewelry case. There's a stolen jewelry. You're holding it. And I think now the Joe Biden case has shown why that is a glib, inaccurate view that no one who's ever actually tried a case would say in good faith, because it's way more complicated. And ultimately, what this is going to come down to is knowledge and intent. Did either person know the documents were there? Biden says no. Trump has admitted he knew the documents were there. But then intent. Did they have criminal intent? And the other thing I just want to say on this is, I keep hearing people saying, well, but Joe Biden's cooperating and Donald Trump's not. Therefore, Donald Trump should be charged and Joe Biden shouldn't. That's only a halfway true answer. Because Joe Biden's cooperating, he won't be charged with obstruction, presumably, if he's fully cooperating. And Donald Trump might. But it doesn't mean Joe Biden is necessarily free and clear on the underlying documents. There still could be, you can commit a crime and then cooperate. I'm not saying Joe Biden has committed a crime, but people are acting like the cooperation just wipes the slate clean and nobody can ever be charged with anything if they cooperate. Obviously, that's nonsense. Obviously, you can't just undo a crime. So we, we need to see whether there's evidence that Joe Biden had knowledge and intent. Again, we've not seen that evidence yet, but the fact that he's cooperating doesn't mean it's over and and right. no it's, just, it's not an exoneration to him for for what's done i am so yeah. so tired of all of this bullshit as far as i'm concerned they should be and if i was the attorney general they're not they're not concurrent cases they're completely separate that's how it should be but here's what bothers and it's exactly how it should be and here's what bothers me the most i promise you if you had one document in your possession, your ass would be in jail already. No different than like what happened with Reality Winner. Do you remember that they also went after, uh, who was it? Um, not uh, Sandy Berger, uh, David ex Petraeus. Yeah. Petraeus is who I was thinking. Yep. Right. I mean, his whole life turned upside down over one document. I hear you, the but let me, let me draw one distinction. Is, I have, a, I have a big problem with the fact that once again... If you are of a certain elk, you are high-level government or involved in government, especially as a president, vice president, so on, that the laws don't apply to you yeah. the same way that they apply to everybody else, meaning that we really do have two separate systems of justice. But where I am the most offended on all of this is the fact that we have people that are working for us with our taxpayer dollars, NARA, 
or whoever's supposed to be responsible. These documents are beta stamped. It's not as if that they don't have corresponding numbers to it. it the way I compare it, in my building, we have what's called the key track system. Right. And it holds your extra key in the event that you get locked out or you don't have your keys or what have you. Yeah. And if after 24 hours, that key is not put back into the system, it fucking beeps. And it right. doesn't stop beeping until someone puts their initials next to it as to why they stopped it from beeping. Yeah. How is it possible that Joe Biden had documents for seven years, that Trump had it for three years, out of the system, and they knew that it wasn't there, or they should have known? What are these people doing? First of all, I think most of these people, like, I'm fighting with FOIA on a regular basis. I think they all fucking suck. I think that government breeds laziness. Right? And that's the big problem. The fact that Joe Biden can have those out for six, seven years, the fact that Trump could have it out for years, I don't care how many. Neither of them should have had those documents out. And if it's a crime, it's a crime. And if it's a crime for one, it's a crime for both. Well, I, look, I, I think you're seeing, again, a perfect example of why prosecutors are way more hesitant to charge. The more powerful a person is, the more hesitant. I mean, there are some differences, though. Like, if you take Petraeus's case, knowledge and intent were easy, right? He, he, he obviously knew he was taking these documents and then he gave them to his biographer. And his, so his intent was to publish them. You know, it's not that straightforward on, we don't know really what the exact intent was on either of, of Trump or Biden, but you're absolutely right. There would be a thousand times more deliberation and, and consideration and benefit of the doubt before either president or former president would be charged or recommended for a charge than there would be any normal person. No question about that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, let's look at like reality winner, five years. To me, again, it should just be a NARA needs to do their job. Explain to me why a president cannot be told whatever you want to take out of the White House must be packed three days before you leave. Right. And then you have somebody there from NARA with a fucking video camera, with your cell phone, for God's sakes, videotaping what you're doing. Oh, you know, you can't take that. Let's put that off to the side. We could talk about that later. Instead, Trump walks out with 33-plus boxes. This guy walks out and so on. The reason I say this yeah. is not because I have an issue so much with, you know, whether Trump ends up getting prosecuted on it, and this is now going to force Biden, you know, neither of them, by the way, should run in 2024. Could you imagine two guys who both have now, you know, have documents that were taken out of the White House, top secret? The whole thing to me is just a distraction. But what bothers me more is the fact that you have people who are allegedly doing a job, meaning NARA, Right. And they're really not. And it's putting our national security at risk. Now, I don't think Joe Biden, and again, this is my opinion because, you know, I'm not a big fan of Donald's, right? Um, certainly any longer. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that he would show those documents to someone. But then again, right. I don't know whether Joe Biden, you know, or Hunter or somebody else maybe showed it to somebody for some benefit. That's the reason why well, this, no one should have it. Plain exactly. And, and this is why this is why the actual content of those documents is going to be really important to prosecutors, because if those documents just relate to random things that Joe Biden was dealing with as president or senator VP, or I should say VP, not as president. Um, then that's one thing. But if they hypothetically relate to business dealings, to things that his family was involved in, 
then you're going to be in a different spot when it comes to intentionality. Right. Now, let me ask you this then. How does Merrick Garland then keep from having to share the information about these investigations with the likes of Kevin McCarthy yeah. and other Republicans that are legitimately gunning for Democrats? Merrick Garland needs to tell Congress to go to hell when it comes to specific ongoing investigations. So clearly the new Republican majority in the House intends to be very aggressive in their investigations. They want to dig into the Joe Biden documents. They want to dig into the, the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. They want to dig into Hunter Biden. I do, but Congress absolutely has oversight authority. They have the power and they should have the power to bring the attorney general up to Capitol Hill, make them answer questions, but not about specific ongoing cases. They want to ask Merrick Garland about what are your investigative priorities? What are your law enforcement tactics? Uh, what's your resource needs? Um, you know, how are you going about uh, executing search warrants? Any of those questions, totally fair game. Attorney General can and should uh, testify about that. But if they want to dig into specific cases, any attorney general has an obligation to say, I will not do that. And we now know Merrick Garland, he sent a letter just recently saying, I'm not going to go into these, essentially. I'm not going to go into ongoing cases. And the notion that there's been weaponization of DOJ is ridiculous. First of all, weaponization which way? I mean, we have investigations right now of Donald Trump, of Joe Biden, of Hunter Biden. I mean, who are, who are we thinking? Of Jared Kushner, uh, of a handful I don't know of about that. so many people. But, but well, who, are we thinking, who are we thinking? I don't know. Um, but look, who are we thinking that they're favoring? And, and let me say, this is a long bipartisan, nonpartisan tradition of AGs. No Congress that I can ever remember has demanded, well, it, it, it's been demanded, but no AG has given in to, let me tell you about this ongoing case. In fact, no attorney general was ever held in contempt in this country until 2012, when Eric Holder refused to answer questions about the Fast and Furious scandal with this drug trafficking, or excuse me, gun trafficking investigation that went haywire. And I write about this in the book. Um, he was held in contempt, but wasn't prosecuted. Why? Because who decides? DOJ. Of course, Eric Holder and DOJ aren't going to prosecute Eric Holder. 2019, Michael, you'll be shocked to know Bill Barr was held in contempt because he refused to turn over uh, over information about the effort to add a citizenship question to the census. And you'll be really shocked to know that the courts later found that Bill Barr was not completely truthful in his explanations to the courts about why they Shocker. did that. Um, he, too, was held in contempt. And so now the question is, will we end up in a situation where Merrick Garland's held in contempt? It'll be purely ceremonial. But it, I think if Merrick Garland ends up in this position, he has to hold the line. He has to tell them, nope, not doing it. And he said that the other day. And if it means going into contempt, it means going into contempt. And, and so be it. But that is a bedrock DOJ principle that cannot at all be compromised. You know what would be a really fucking weird twist in this? Like what happened to me, like in my case? where yep. the former president gets his mushroom pecker pulled by a porn star, and I end up suffering the consequences. Can you imagine, right, if Biden ends up paying a price for the mishandling of classified documents and then Trump doesn't? I, I mean, mean, wouldn't that just be sort of par right. for this course? And that's, why, and that's why I think Merrick Garland's in a, in a tight spot here. And I, I think that's very hard to, to justify based on what we know publicly. Again, there's there's plenty we don't know. But also I think it's why... The Biden document story, in a way, is a, another lucky break for Donald Trump, because I think politically, even, yes, there are differences. We've talked about that. We know the differences. But I think it gets that much harder for Merrick Garland to say, I'm going to charge Donald Trump, if he also says, and Biden didn't do anything worthy of a charge. That may well be the way the cards fall, but politically, that becomes even more explosive than just indicting or not indicting Donald Trump alone. 
Yeah, and this also gives, of course, the Republicans the opportunity now to attempt to impeach, you know, Biden, which, of course, you know that they're going to do. If they were going to run off of Afghanistan and COVID and so on, they would know that they'd be the laughing stock of America. But now at least they have something which is, in most yeah, people's perhaps. eyes, legitimate. You have documents? You have documents. Well, you know, one should not be any different than the other, and they should not be any different than you and I. So, again, moving on here. What do you think of Robert Hur, the man heading the Biden investigation? Mm -hmm. Now, he is a Trump appointee, but that, of course, doesn't mean that he's going to be biased. He seems to be, you know, a former JAG officer, so, you know, it doesn't make him biased at all. He does, however, have a page on the Federalist Society's website. I mean, I'm just saying, he, he sort of goes to that ilk as opposed to being, we'll call it, as, as Donald would say, right, the radical left, right? I mean, he's certainly right. far from that. Should we be worried that he's also trying to protect Trump? Um, I don't know Robert Herr personally. Let me start with that. Um, I don't know that he's in really any position to protect Trump. He's obviously investigating Biden. I think it was the right move by Merrick Garland to choose someone who is a straight shooter, federal prosecutor. And I know people who have worked with him who have said publicly and elsewhere that he has conservative ideology, but it doesn't impact the way he has acted as a prosecutor. He actually was the one who refused to pick up the investigation of John Kerry for Logan at ridiculous Logan Act violations. The SDNY refused it. They tried to get her to take it up. And he said, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not going there. I think you had to pick someone with either absolutely neutral or conservative credentials, because God help you if you're Merrick Garland and you pick someone who is an Obama nominee, even if the person's right down the middle or has any, you know, donated to Democrats, then nobody would ever credit his findings. And so I think it was, I think if I'm in Merrick Garland's seat, I would look for someone exactly like Robert Hur. I would say, I want someone who, if anything, their history leans conservative, leans Republican, but also is an absolute straight shooter when it comes to prosecution. So I think he's, he's, I think he's the right person for the job. And look, I'm willing to say, I don't know the guy, I'm willing to say that I will, I, I will start off by giving him the benefit of the doubt. And, and uh, you know, I, I will assume the best about his intentions and his work. Yeah, as will I. Okay, now I'm going to hit you with everyone's favorite question. All right. Which case is, mo which case is <laughs> most likely to bring Trump down? Right. Oh. Which one do you think is most likely to bring down? It's it's actually looking, you know, like the E. Jean Carroll case is picking up steam. So yeah. is the Fulton County election fraud. So is the New York district attorney. You may right. have seen that once again for my 14th visit to the You're DA. <laughs> so is the attorney general here in New York who allegedly referred uh, certain matters to the Southern District of New York as well as the IRS. Yeah, which one do you think it's going to be? Okay, so first of all, let me take all the civil stuff and put it in a different group because I, I, as much as that he, Donald Trump could get hit with heavy judgments in those cases, that's not going to take him down. I think E. Jean Carroll, from what I can see, has a very strong lawsuit and claim supported by the evidence and sort of common sense. I think Letitia James, while I have serious issues, I believe Letitia James, I don't believe, I know because I, can, I saw her campaign against Donald Trump. I think that's a politically driven lawsuit. I know that's, she said it, um, but I think she will succeed. I think the evidence that she laid out is is quite clear that he did inflate and deflate values, as you testified, Michael, in Congress. Those are all civil. On the criminal side, I want to draw a distinction, another distinction here. Sorry to be no, wait, wait, no, no, Ellie, don't yeah. forget what she yeah. did do is she. Yes, it is civil, 
What she did do, though, is that she sent uh, two aspects of that civil case to the Southern District of New York, yeah. and yep. that's the tax fraud case. Yep, yep. So we don't know where that's going to go. I think right. the most likely to indict, now you said bring down, but again, indict is not necessarily bring down. I think it's quite clear that the Fulton County DA intends to indict Donald Trump on, on election interference. I think every sign that we're seeing out there, every somewhat thinly veiled public comment by the DA makes clear that she has every intent to charge Donald Trump. She's taking way too long. We're already, again, two plus years out. You know, the heart of that case is the Raffensperger call. That call became public over two years ago. Um, I think it's becoming increasingly clear that she intends to indict that case. Will it result in conviction, I think, is a very serious uphill climb. And I actually have a whole chapter in this book where I lay out why this case will be difficult, not impossible, but difficult to prosecute and the various obstacles that she's going to face if she charges. But I think the one that's most likely to bring him down is if DOJ actually pulls the trigger on a charge. Mar-a-Lago, I think, is much more likely than January 6th at this point. Um, if DOJ charges, they will have a stronger legal basis, a stronger constitution. There's a, a legitimate constitutional question about whether a county local DA can actually charge someone of a former president for something touching on office. Um, but DOJ, I believe this is DOJ's job. I think if you're talking about the kind of charges we're talking about with Donald Trump, DOJ has a unique responsibility. And so, so to boil that down, I think the DA in Fulton County is the most likely to indict first. But I think in terms of ultimate success from a prosecutorial point of view, conviction, I think it's going to come down to DOJ. And what, what do you think about the New York DA? I don't know. I mean, he passed. This is, I should say, Alvin Bragg is a friend of mine and a former colleague. Um, you know, he passed on. Michael Cohen, mea culpa with Ellie, top prosecutor. Who will bring down Trump? Question mark the initial financial fraud crimes. They've obviously reignited their interest, Michael, as you know, having gone in there recently. Um, that's really hard to read. I don't know. You know, New York state laws also allow for some pretty... This is exactly what I would be telling... This is my factor helps you move forward with life the way you want to live it. tell you my story, don't grab for me. Take my time, that's fine by me. This is Thing you to do. You need to get yourself extricated yeah. from the lawsuit. And if that means that you throw everybody else under the bus, I promise you, Rupert and Fox have no problem with doing that. It's interesting. You know. Um yeah, I mean I, you know. I don't know whether, I mean, I, I don't know how Hannity or, or Tucker Carlson work. I assume they have quite a bit of, uh, of editorial input into their own shows. But yeah, look, a, a Dominion, good for Dominion. I mean, they've stood up for themselves. And uh, I think they're going to they're gonna expose quite a bit here about knowingly false statements based on what we've seen. I mean, I don't know how you justify it. Look, everyone gets things wrong. Everyone makes mistakes sometimes. But... These were obvious truths that that they had no obvious falsehoods that they had just zero proof of. And there's almost been borderline admissions now that people knew. I mean, knew that it was false and they were just repeating it. So um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, what are we thinking about the special counsel that the Department of Justice has arranged in the Biden document case? <laughs> I was going to say, because, which one? I mean, yeah. Merrick, 
Yeah, right. So I'm talking about Merrick Garland, right? Shaw put that shit together real quickly. Right? I mean, it was like in a period of weeks as opposed to Trump, which was years. Yeah. Is the idea to have the Trump and Biden document cases run concurrently so that the public can see the difference between them, right? And how much pressure do you think Garland was under to investigate Biden? I think the main uh, purpose that Merrick Garland had here was to provide himself and the Department of Justice with some measure of political insulation. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying he necessarily succeeded in that, but I think he kind of had no choice, especially after he had named Jack Smith special counsel on Trump. Now, you're right. It took him over two years. It took him two years or so to get there. And I'm quite critical, by the way, of Merrick Garland in the book for taking this long. But once mm. Donald Trump announced his candidacy of in 2024, Merrick Garland said, he essentially, he felt he, we had extraordinary circumstances and he had no choice. Now, remember, Donald Trump is being investigated for classified documents. Then when the Biden issue arises, first Garland taps this U.S. attorney from Chicago, John Walsh, to give a recommendation. That U.S. attorney comes back and says, I recommend special counsel. At that point, Garland has essentially no choice. Now, there definitely are differences in these cases, right? More documents with Trump. Trump is under investigation for obstruction, and Biden has sort of cooperated, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. But there are similarities. These are both cases involving documents, classified documents found in personal areas. Um, Biden's, you know, claim that this is all an accident. Um, there's been no direct proof to the contrary, but we've now had documents found in five different batches in his home, in different rooms of his home, in his private office. I don't know whether we'll find more, but the more documents that show up, the more different places, the harder it gets to believe that there's some sort of pure accident here. We don't know. We don't know. I have to say that. Um, and again, he has denied having any knowledge. There's no direct evidence that he did have knowledge, but this is what the investigation is for. Now, Merrick Garland, as you noted, Michael, he has a really complex political calculus to make here. By the book, what Merrick Garland will tell you and what any by-the-book prosecutor will tell you is, well, he's going to assess each of them completely independently. And the special counsel will come back on Trump and give a recommendation. And the special counsel will come back on Biden and give a recommendation. And the one has nothing to do with the other. And Garland will independently decide whether he wants to go with the special counsel recommendation or overrule it, which he can. And that is correct. That is the way it will happen. But this notion that Merrick Garland is some sort of cyborg who does not operate in the world of politics, is nonsense. He is a political creature. I don't mean that in any kind of criticism, but you don't get to the federal bench. You don't get nominated for the Supreme Court. You don't get nominated as attorney general unless you are a D.C. creature who understands politics. Of course he's aware that Donald Trump is running for president. That's why he put a special counsel in place. Of course he's aware Joe Biden is the sitting president. And of course he's got to be aware of the, the appearance of this and the timing. I mean, do you announce them, as you said, Michael, concurrently. Do you wait until they're both done and said, here's where we came out on this, here's where we came out on that? Do, do you just announce your decision on each one as they come in? What if one comes in first? When you announce the decision on that, charge or don't charge, can't charge Joe Biden right now because he's sitting president, but is that going to influence or increase pressure on what happens with the second case? And I think it will. I do think as a practical matter, I understand there are differences, but I think as a practical matter, the Biden case has underscored that there are more complexities to the Donald Trump documents case than people understood at the beginning. I've heard some people say, oh, the Trump documents case is the same thing as a drug case. You had kilos, five kilos of coke in your car. That's it. End of story. It's like a stolen jewelry case. There's stolen jewelry. You're holding it. 
And I think now the Joe Biden case has shown why that is a glib, inaccurate view that no one who's ever actually tried a case would say in good faith, because it's way more complicated. And ultimately, what this is going to come down to is knowledge and intent. Did either person know the documents were there? Biden says no. Trump has admitted he knew the documents were there. But then intent. Did they have criminal intent? And the other thing I just want to say on this is I keep hearing people saying, well, but Joe Biden's cooperating and Donald Trump's not. Therefore, Donald Trump should be charged and Joe Biden shouldn't. That's only a halfway true answer. Because Joe Biden's cooperating, he won't be charged with obstruction, presumably, if he's fully cooperating. And Donald Trump might. But it doesn't mean Joe Biden is necessarily free and clear on the underlying documents. There still could be, you can commit a crime and then cooperate. I'm not saying Joe Biden has committed a crime, but people are acting like the cooperation just wipes the slate clean and nobody can ever be charged with anything if they cooperate. Obviously, that's nonsense. Obviously, you can't just undo a crime. So we we need to see whether there's evidence that Joe Biden had knowledge and intent. Again, we've not seen that evidence yet, but the fact that he's cooperating doesn't mean it's over and and right. no it does, it's not fight. an exoneration to him for for what's done i am so yeah. so tired of all of this bullshit as far as i'm concerned they should be and if i was the attorney general they're not they're not concurrent cases they're completely separate that's how it should be but here's what bothers and it's exactly how it should be and here's what bothers me the most i promise you if you had one document in your possession, your ass would be in jail already. No different than like what happened with Reality Winners. Remember that they also went after uh, who was it? Um, not uh, Sandy Berger, uh, David Petraeus. Yeah, Petraeus is who I was thinking. Yep. Right. I mean, his whole life turned upside down over one document. I hear you. The but let me let me draw one distinction. Is, I have a I have a big problem with the fact that once again. If you are of a certain elk, you are high-level government or involved in government, especially as a president, vice president, so on, that the laws don't apply to you yeah. the same way that they apply to everybody else, meaning that we really do have two separate systems of justice. But where I am the most offended on all of this is the fact that we have people that are working for us with our taxpayer dollars, NARA, or whoever's supposed to be responsible. These documents are beta stamped. It's not as if that they don't have corresponding numbers to it. it the way I compare it, in my building, we have what's called the key track system. Right. And it holds your extra key in the event that you get locked out or you don't have your keys or what have you. Yeah. And if after 24 hours... That key is not put back into the system. It fucking beeps. And it right. doesn't stop beeping till someone puts their initials next to it as to why they stopped it from beeping. Yeah. How is it possible that Joe Biden had documents for seven years, that Trump had it for three years, out of the system, and they knew that it wasn't there, or they should have known? What are these people doing? First of all, I think most of these people, like... I'm fighting with FOIA on a regular basis. I think they all fucking suck. I think that government breeds laziness, right? And that's the big problem. The fact that Joe Biden can have those out for six, seven years, the fact that Trump could have it out for years, I don't care how many. Neither of them should have had those documents out. And if it's a crime, it's a crime. And if it's a crime for one, it's a crime for both.
Well, I, look, I, th I think you're seeing, again, a perfect example of why prosecutors are way more hesitant to charge. The more powerful a person is, the more hesitant. I mean, there are some differences, though. Like, if you take Petraeus's case, knowledge and intent were easy, right? He, he, he obviously knew he was taking these documents, and then he gave them to his biographer. And his, so his intent was to publish them. You know, it's not that straightforward on, we don't know really what the exact intent was on either of, of Trump or Biden, but you're absolutely right. There would be a thousand times more deliberation and, and consideration and benefit of the doubt before either president or former president would be charged or recommended for a charge than there would be any normal person. No question about that. The darkness that has happened is this black cloud, the vapor, that energy just consumes your whole tribe. Since colonization, Native women have been targeted. Multiple families grieving over teenage girls. There's so many of them. You can get killed real easily around here. Something happened to her. I hear this little small voice say, Go find me, Dad. Yeah, and at the end of the day, let's look at like reality win in five years. To me, again, it should just be a NARA needs to do their job. Explain to me why a president cannot be told whatever you want to take out of the White House must be packed three days before you leave. Right. And then you have somebody there from NARA with a fucking video camera, with your cell phone, for God's sakes, videotaping what you're doing. Oh, you know, you can't take that. Let's put that off to the side. We can talk about that later. Instead, Trump walks out with 33-plus boxes. This guy walks out and so on. The reason I say this yep. is not because I have an issue so much with, you know, whether Trump ends up getting prosecuted on it, and this is now going to force Biden, you know, neither of them, by the way, should run in 2024. Could you imagine yeah. two guys who both have now, you Fucking know, have documents that were taken out of the White House, top secret? The whole thing to me is just a distraction. But what bothers me more is the fact that you have people who are allegedly doing a job, meaning NARA. Right. Yeah. And they're really not. And it's putting our yeah. national security at risk. Now, I don't think Joe Biden, and again, this is my opinion because, you know, I'm not a big fan of Donald's, right? Um, certainly any longer. You know, there's say. no doubt in my mind that he would show those documents to someone. But then again, right. I don't know whether Joe Biden, you know, or Hunter or somebody else maybe showed it to somebody for some benefit. That's the reason why well, this, no one should have it. Plain exactly. And, and this is why this is why the actual content of those documents is going to be really important to prosecutors, because if those documents just relate to random things that Joe Biden was dealing with as president or senator VP, or I should say VP, not as president, um, then that's one thing. But if they hypothetically relate to business dealings, to things that his family was involved in, then you're going to be in a different spot when it comes to intentionality. Right. No, let me ask you this then. How does Merrick Garland then keep from having to share the information about these investigations with the likes of Kevin McCarthy yeah. and other Republicans that are legitimately gunning for Democrats? Merrick Garland needs to tell Congress go to hell when it comes to specific ongoing investigations. So 
Clearly, the new Republican majority in the House intends to be very aggressive in their investigations. They want to dig into the Joe Biden documents. They want to dig into the, the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. They want to dig into Hunter Biden. I do get, Congress absolutely has oversight authority. They have the power, and they should have the power to bring the Attorney General up to Capitol Hill, make him answer a question, but not about specific want to ask Eric all about what are your investigative priorities, what are your law enforcement tactics, uh, what's your resource needs, um, how are you going about search warrants, any of those questions, totally fair game, can and should uh, testify about that. But if they want to dig into specific cases, any Attorney General 